Welcome back. It is Swing Pass, same old podcast, but with a brand new UFA look. No longer the AUDL anymore. That was for the first decade of this league. We are now on to the new era. Hi, everyone. I am Adam Ruffner, joined as always by Daniel Cohen. We have been away for way too long, but that is because, as you can tell, we have a lot to talk about with a new league rebrand, as well as a bunch of off-season news and information, as well as some brand new show programming. But we will get to that in the back half of this episode. I wanted to start up front talking about all the new Ultimate Frisbee Association news. Daniel, we have four kind of top line items to talk about. Obviously, the biggest one, the name change going from AUDL to UFA. All of the social channel channels have changed over. It's no longer AUDL TV. It is Watch UFA TV. A lot of aesthetic development. You were behind a lot of this new rebrand and look, the new logo. It looks so much more, I think, pumped up. What have you been doing the past several months with this whole, I think, rebranding of who we are and what we're going to be going forward. It's been it's been such a process. I mean, like I think from the first time we heard about this potential rebranding, I don't know, it was maybe like at least a year ago that this was like floated out there as a possibility, but the fact that it's finally here and done with and like we've got all the website assets switched over, the whole look and feel of the logo, all that. I think what we wanted to do was make it make it kind of a, a natural transition into like this new era of the league. So like we kept a lot of the same colors and like the overall font and look and feel isn't so different, but I do think it's, it's kind of leveled up and, and refreshed in a, a needed way. We finally have that, that coveted three letter acronym for our professional league, getting away from the clunky four letters of old. So I'm super excited. I like that we have a silhouette now. I think the logo is going to be very, versatile in the way that we use it you know whether it's the silhouette the silhouette in the oval just the letters ufa like we were kind of stuck with just audl that word mark logo so i, I like the flexibility that we we're had gonna a shield. have well we had the, the shield the shield is that, that was it logo like, barely had a disc i i, like, barely, I didn't really get like, to wow. <laughs> i didn't i never really got to work with the shield because because i joined the league in 2019 i think we stopped using the shields probably we were like probably transitioning over that year so I have, I still yeah. have the Shield logo files, um, but yeah, it's. I think this is a, a natural next step in the evolution of the league, and I'm excited. And I'm, I'm sure I'm going to continue saying AUDL for too long, but you know, we're only human. Uh, it'll take some getting used to for sure. <laughs> I've been doing the Bart Simpson at the beginning of the episode UFA on like a chalkboard, just over and over <laughs> again, just like I need pumping it into my neurosphere. So yeah. like, hopefully that's working out, but probably not. I, it takes a lot to uptake into this old dog brain yeah. at this point. But to your no. point, I think, you know, obviously this has been a tremendous amount of legwork behind the scene. I've only done a fraction, I feel like, of what you've been doing with this whole recultivation of our entire, again, just design, portfolio, aesthetic, whatever you want to call it. Um, but to that point, I think two points. Uh, the logo, to your point, the silhouette, having an actual figure, I think, to work with is going to be a lot of excitement for us as like a design aspect on the back end. Definitely. I don't know how much fans necessarily are going to care about the, the Flyman logo. What are we even calling it now? We, I know. We I should like come up with a name for it. Made. We haven't gotten that far. I, I, 
I threw out Flying Dutchman. That's probably a little <laughs> bit more SpongeBob related or like deep sea related. Yeah, for I'm not Ultimate opposed Frisbee to it. League, but something like that. If you, if you want to submit, you know, tag us on Twitter or something. Uh, leave a, a comment in the YouTube replies or something. Yeah. Come up with your own logo nickname. Uh, I, I I agree with you. I think having that distilled silhouette, just a little bit more of a of an image to associate with right. our league, is going to be so much more helpful as opposed to just a shield. And along those same lines. Ultimate disc. Look, <laughs> I think a lot of people are vaguely familiar with the auspicious starts of the AUDL way back in 2012, kind of derived from uh, uh, online forum messaging areas. So the whole concept of naming a league Ultimate Disc, when what we actually are is Ultimate Frisbee, has always been a little bit mind-numbing. And I think <laughs> just getting away from having to tell people, you know, it's the American Ultimate Disc League and having everyone now associate that, I think rightfully, with disc golf, you know, getting more yeah. into, no, we don't play with the baskets. No, it's not, it's not a football field. It's got end zone. I just feel like UFA is going to bring so much more synonymousness with that kind of imagery as opposed to whatever the hell Ultimate Disc actually is. Uh, <laughs> I'm still kind of trying to bake on exactly what that is. I mean, I know, I think people have made references to the fact of, oh, well, it's on a larger field than the amateur division, so that's why it's Ultimate Disc. But, you know, yeah, okay. that's neither here nor there. But yeah, yeah. UFA stuff has been, I think, a really good move forward. And while it's been kind of a headache <laughs> to go through some of the, it's, you know, crossing T's and dotting I's in the background yeah, here, I think the overall effort is very much worth it. And obviously we'll move on to do it sooner than later, because the further we move into the future, the harder these tasks would become inherently. So yeah, it's good to have a new look. It's good to have a new feel. It's good to feel a little bit rejuvenated because as we've been talking behind the scenes, there's not a whole lot going on right now it's on the off-season off hot stove, man. There is nothing, especially compared to last year. We had the Pollyannas to L.A., D.C. reloading, going to charge after New York, Atlanta bringing up all of these Florida players and stars into their system, yeah. looking healthier, Austin bringing in some talent, obviously Duncan Fitzgerald finishing as the runner-up in the most improved category coming over from D.C., we never did a hypothetical, which is one thing I would love to do at some point, which is like, what if Duncan Fitzgerald, as we now know him on the soul, stayed with DC? Would they have flipped him over to offense? Would they have utilized his, his firecracker playmaking? DC is too Get off into the It would just be another, it's like another one of the same type, not that he's the same type of player exactly, but they just have all these guys that can slot in offense, defense. It would just be another piece for them. I was thinking DC is probably the one roster where like, because I was talking to, to DC, we're like refreshing their stadium signage for this year. And one of the mm -hmm. thoughts that goes into that is like, who are the star players? Like, who do we want? Uh, to be like the faces of the team I feel like DC like their full roster you could put any one of those guys on some nice signage in the stadium and like it'll make sense like all those guys make such an impact offensively defensively it's it's like a star powered team but still not quite the star power that of course New York has we don't have to talk about New York just yet um but yeah, I, DC's roster is loaded if they had Duncan Fitzgerald it'd, it'd be the same amount of loaded is, is my point but imagine the flying tomato images you'd have on like some nice placards or something that that that'd be a good, that'd be a good illustration. You know, is, is somebody still with hair. Uh, it it <laughs> I like seeing it out there. I like seeing. By the, the way, color, like yeah, are you are you like is this you now? Like, are you officially locked into long hair like forever at this point? Or are you ever gonna cut it? 
I like forget. Let's, uh, let, let's, I cut let, many let's a year ago. Let's save the <laughs> it's been four years since I've been, gotten a haircut. This is yeah. very much pandemic born, and obviously we're still in the midst of one. It's it's a hell of a flu season out there. I hope you all are staying safe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think it's a little bit. Uh, oh, let's get to it in the Q and A at the back <laughs> half of this. How about, uh, we can open it up. We've still got a whole bunch to get to. I pulled you into the weeds asking a Duncan Fitzgerald hypothetical. <laughs> Serious, no hot stove stuff to get to. Our, we should get to. We should get to just a few more rebrand topics. And then I think the biggest news of this episode, and then we can talk about my hair and whatever else you want to, I promise. But moving on from AUDL to UFA, there are also a host of other changes coming to the league in 2024. No longer is the league going to be using the 175 gram Discraft Ultra Star, excuse me, and will instead be moving to a new disc manufacturer right now, the Aria Uno, which is currently approved under WIF Diff and USAU uh, competition. It is a very familiar disc to the 175 Ultra Star. Um, it will be used in 2024 play, uh, excuse me, 2024 play phrasing uh and i i hope that players and i've been told that players have had weeks and weeks familiarizing themselves with these discs you and i have had some experience playing with the aria uno it is very very similar to the ultra star there's very i think little to expect in as far as change going into play in 2024 with a new disc Mm -hmm. there is a little bit more flight carry on it it is harder to i think sustain the edges on the aria uno as mm-hmm. opposed to a 175 ultra star but for all intents and purposes this is going to be a very very similar disc what the new disc manufacturer arrangement allows for in the future and particularly going into 2025 is a player feedback supported new disc and the possibility of using more than one kind of disc depending on elements weather etc so for example were there to be a game with 20 plus mile an hour wins, players and captains from each teams could elect to use possibly a more weighted disc in those conditions, giving a little bit more stability and obviously more favor to passing, which is what we're always trying to do in this league. So obviously this is a pretty tectonic shift from the established, again, ultra star conformity of competitive play throughout the ultimate Frisbee competitive landscape. However, There's going to be so many more possibilities, I think, for the potential of development of a disc and what it's going to look like going into the future, especially as competitive play continues to evolve. You know, as we've talked about before, there's there's just a certain amount of adversity to throwing the the 175 Ultra Star in certain conditions. And we can just see that in certain days. And so Mm -hmm. the ability to even experiment with a different kind of ball. I mean, this is something that most other leagues do. I mean, you talk about the NFL, they have different balls for gameplay versus what they kick with. You know, they play with different kinds of inflation depending on the temperature outside. They will literally adjust balls depending on the conditions and the locations of the venue. And so having that kind of, I think, adaptability is going to be really important for a sport going forward as we continue to not only develop here, but also I think abroad and internationally and continue to look at what are the sort of potentials for disc development? Yeah, no, I'm super excited and and also excited just to hear what the player feedback is. Like I can already imagine the first Tuesday toss of week one, like Evan's going to be asking players like what they thought of the new disc and just, you know, how much of a difference does it make? And, and then, like you said, the ability to kind of fine tune this over time is a really cool 
concept just because like you know we should have a disc that that allows for optimized play um and the fact that we've been like kind of glued to this other disc was was fine for a while but again i feel like this is kind of the natural evolution of a sports league like you mentioned the nfl you know messing with the the ball types um this is going to be a really interesting development to follow like for the next several years i think Mm -hmm. i mean nba goes back and forth through manufacturing shifts of the ball i mean there's been some you know controversies and other things so this is a very natural development in the course of a professional sports league and i think that a lot of people as you've kind of seen from almost the lack of uh you know, I think controversy online over the past several yeah. weeks, despite there being knowledge of a new disc, really speaks to kind of, I think, the ease of transition from 2023 to 2024 as far as this disc in gameplay. But mm-hmm. wanted to bring that up. That's more technical side. I know we don't get too much into the technical side. We're talking about design aspect. We, 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 should, we should talk about uh, Photoshop files. We could talk about the yeah, templates. Yeah. You and uh, I go on and on about Photoshop files. We can get into we can get into some nitty gritty stuff, color profiles. I mean, I'm sure you've got a whole color theory guide that we can go into, but oh, yeah. let's get back a little bit more to play. And I think a really fun aspect of the announcement. And this one kind of dovetails off of each other. First up, a brand new showcase series coming to you in 2024, the Super Series, eight of the most high profile games, oftentimes featuring brand new matchups, including the first one, which will feature DC going to face off against the league runner-up Salt Lake Shred in Salt Lake. Not quite sure of the exact date that will be, but that is looking like it will be the opening poll for the 2024 season. And what is so, so cool about all of these Super 8 games is that they will be free broadcast on our YouTube channel. Once again, that will be Watch UFA TV, and you will be able to tune into each and every one of them for free on YouTube, as well as potentially other social media platforms. We're really trying to explore new ways to telecast and get our best games out to you. Obviously, there will still exist the Watch UFA TV platform that will be a pay-per-view service that will host the majority of the games, but the league and us in particular, I think, will work in more and more ways to make sure that this is more and more accessible and that we can keep bringing in people for more and more fun because... These, I think what has become the Super Series and what was the game of the week have really turned into, I think, can't miss TV. Like a few years ago, I remember when we were assembling game of the week schedules, kind of talking about the matchups we wanted, you would get five or six that you were really excited about, but it really felt like there was a lot of filler in that template. Mm -hmm. These past couple of seasons, man, I really feel like there's maybe two to four broadcasts that might not live up to snuff and every other one it really feels like the teams play up to the increased environment and i really feel like that's going to carry forward with the super series which is going to feature even more heightened matchups yeah i i couldn't be more excited about super series because this is also a scenario where we we like went in but kind of before all the schedule was put together because the game of the week I think it was largely, I mean, yeah, you had some interdivisional games that were discussed kind of earlier, you know, before the the process of putting together a schedule. But it was really, once the schedule was together, it was like going through each week saying like, okay, this is the best game this weekend. This is the best game this weekend. Super Series was like, before everything happened, these are the matchups we really want to see this year. So let's build the schedule in a way that allows for these 
to be our spotlight matchups for the year. And so that, in that way, it's like we're, we're getting the very best games at the best venues, the best teams. I, I think it's going to be awesome. DC Salt Lake, by the way, like what, what better way to start the year? It's like the, the classic yes. question of who is the second best team uh, after New York, of course. And, and this is going to be such a great battle. The fact that it's in Salt Lake, too, it's like, a, like potentially a championship weekend preview. It'll like give us a taste of what's to come in August as well. You almost ruined the other aspect of this announcement, which is that 2024 championship weekend will be held in Salt Lake on August 24th and 25th. That is 95% confirmed. League hasn't officially announced it yet because there is still some venue details to work out, but it does in fact look like Salt Lake will be hosting the championship weekend event, excuse me, for this coming season which of course will really, I think, bring a lot of good spotlights to that first matchup with DC. Can Salt Lake continue right where they left off, which was right on the heels of New York? Obviously, they didn't perform as well in that championship game as they had expected to. A slow start, I think, really encumbered their performance. But we saw again and again last year from the 2023 shred that they were a team up to the challenge. They entered the season kind of one rung below their divisional rivals in Colorado. And I really thought they took it to the summit. They took it to LA when they hosted them in the playoffs. And even in the semifinals on the road against a very adverse and defensively minded Minnesota team, Salt Lake performed all the way through that overtime win. Mm -hmm. And I think being able to see them at the beginning of the season is a little bit more intriguing for me than seeing even the reigning champions, you know? Yeah. We'll get to it, I think, a little bit later in this episode, but I like New York. I love following New York. This is a historically good team. They're defensively dominant. They're committed. They're disciplined. They have the last four MVPs. They've tied a league record with 30 straight wins. You know, there's, there's numerous accolades that we could go through for this team, and yet... I'm interested in the field in 2024, man. I want to know who can challenge it. And it starts with Salt Lake as 1A and DC as 1B. And to your point just a few minutes ago, this is one of those matchups where I didn't even think of the possibility of it because of the geographic locations of these teams, because of the interdivisional wonkiness. So to just be able to pluck that matchup out of the ether and be able to say, all right, Jordan Curvers, AJ Merriman, you know, let's see Cole Jurek and Kyle Weinberg. Let's see uh, Joel Clutton shutting down at the end of the quarters. Let's see Rowan trying to break loose against some of these shred defensive athletes. Like there's just going to be so much tantalizing stuff. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, man. I wish we could talk about some of the other matchups that are lining up because <laughs> they're almost just as juicy and it's going to be awesome to watch it all. It's going to be great, especially knowing like, I can't even, I I don't know which way to go on this first matchup in that I don't know if I want to see DC win in Salt Lake and kind of set up this just storyline locomotive of, well, can Salt Lake actually defend the home field and get yeah. here to host their event? And, or, or if Salt Lake wins and then it's kind of this redo of 2018 Madison where they feel like a team of destiny and kind of getting all of these other mojo aspects built into their championship run. I don't know, man. It's going to be awesome to watch. <laughs> it's going to be great. I mean, yeah, it's, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with like the number one storyline for me, this coming season is going to be who's the team that can beat New York. And so, so to start off 
with like potentially getting an answer to the most likely team to beat New York this year, I think that's that's all we can ask for. Yeah. Well, and just I think Utah in general is sort of one of those places that's having a little bit of a moment. You know, there's there's such yeah. a youth scene there. There's so much competitive competitiveness throughout their divisions. Obviously, the Salt Lake Shred are in, in the UFA. I almost said the four-letter organization there, but I got it. I got it. And then you have uh, their sister organization in the Utah Wild in the WUL. They're mm-hmm. also really competitive in their formats. You've got BYU, Utah State, all of these developing programs that I think really are looking to assert themselves in the collegiate scenes. You've got a numerous slate of amateur division pro, or excuse me, club teams. Like there's mm-hmm. just a, a bit of a momentum. And I think you see that at a lot of the shred home games with their just enthusiastic fans i mean short of madison that feels like the fan base right now they've got the shred heads they've got this just energy to it i feel like sometimes some of the broadcasts don't quite capture it because we haven't had the field mic technology available to really get the sense whenever you talk to people who go to those games at zion bank stadium they say it is a professional experience they talk about you know, the video board, the vibe of the crowd, the way that there's just a response from the athletes. Mm-hmm. I think that is such a part of playing in these stadiums and these big venues. You know, Zion Bank has this great embankment that looks out over the mountains and everything. It just, it elevates everything. It, it's it's a stage, you know, in a real yep. sense. And I just, so excited to to go out there and be a part of it and, and to feel it, you know, I think. Yeah. Especially the last couple of years, these championship weekend events, I mean, they're, they're it like they really bring together. I feel like the four best teams each year and you get to see the three best games. Yeah. It's, it's the perfect next venue for championship weekend. And, and like you said, I think the, also just the trajectory of the shred in recent years, like that, that makes so much sense to me as the team to host this next event. Hopefully they're there representing the West division, but even if Colorado is there or even, you know, maybe LA, maybe Oakland makes it like I know that that environment is going to be just as electric no matter what so yeah very excited all those West teams love to feed off their home crowds yeah we saw that very much so with Oakland that's kind of how they kick-started the energy division out there and I I feel like the the Salt Lake home crowd is just the perfect way to kind of amplify all that yeah yeah well I think (sighs) I don't know how to transition. I I think you've now finally set me up for the one segue I really don't know how to do. And it's the biggest piece of information on this episode. And I'm going to try and not get emotional a little bit. But this is Daniel's final episode on Swing Pass. Uh, Very amicable departure. He is going to be obviously around in coverage and will probably still get pulled into some more episodes Uh, to cover, but he's going to be focusing his time much more on the marketing design and other aspects as we move forward into this new era of UFA and rebranding and everything. And I just don't even have the words to thank you, man. It's been such a pleasure hosting this alongside you the past couple of years. Um, Like just, I, I, I ramble over you all the time. I talk too much. (laughs) I, I, but it's been an absolute pleasure to host you and I'm really out of words and I'm going to miss you, man. And you're good. I Go yeah. It's gonna be. <laughs> it's gonna be. It's gonna be a weird adjustment not doing it anymore. But yeah, like like Adam mentioned, I think just you know our all of our priorities with 
this league and the sport, I think we all just want to like grow it the best we can. And part of that is recognizing like what, what areas I, I think I can have a bigger impact. in. so it's, yeah, again, it's, it's nothing against Adam or the show. It's a very, it's a very, very amicable split and I will be back. I'm sure. Uh, but can you, can you announce my, my replacement? I don't know, man. Who are they? Like, people aren't even going to know this dude. Like, he's <laughs> such an also-ran. Like, that's the other uh. thing. I'm just not even excited about bringing this guy on. Um, I mean, a couple of his accomplishments, I guess, if we want to get into it. He's he's the league's all-time leading goal scorer. He's been around since the very advent of the league. I think he's missed, like, two or three games. He'll know exactly yeah. what he missed, well, how he missed, and how many minutes he missed, and how he was watching it in a car somewhere else. Talking about Cameron Brock, we're going to be bringing on Cameron Brock as the new co-host of Swing Pass going forward. He will jump on in the segment immediately after this. I am super excited to have Cameron Brock on. I, <laughs> I will say, I will say when, when, Adam, when Adam gave me the news that he was kicking me off the podcast, like I was a little upset at first, but when he told me who the replacement was going to be, I was kind of honored in a way to, to be followed by someone with Cam Brock's resume. So I, I like, I just think he's such a good fit for this. He is so analytic, analytically minded and having been around since 2012, like, no one can speak better to just the overall development of the league oh. than Cam Brock. And so also for him to come in at a time where we have rebranded our league, we're entering a new era. Uh, he's going to be the, the perfect steward to, to take us into that, that uh, new territory. So yeah, I, I can't wait to transition honestly from like co-host to, to avid listener and fan. Like I am going to be eating up as many episodes of this as I can. Uh, Still going to be very, very much looking forward to every week. Smash cut to you being in a car somewhere a couple months from now and just like turning us off in absolute <laughs> disappointment. Just being like, what has this show become? Like we've got on just like, uh, uh, we've turned into one of those other like male dating podcasts for no <laughs> reason whatsoever. Yeah. No, Cam, the only Cam, reason I've actually just totally rebranded the whole show. He comes in, has all these ideas. Not at all ultimate related anymore. I'm bald too, like I <laughs> shave. No, the only reason I'm bringing Cam on is because he has even less hair than you. And so it, I'm just continually downscaling so I can just let this grow out. It's real yeah. Samson dynamics on this podcast, I'm telling it's you. Like it's sense. all about hair length. The, if KPS or somebody, if we get Duncan Fitzgerald, <laughs> if somebody has hair length to challenge mind, it's going to be an issue. I'm just saying that. Up yeah. Front. No, but um, all the kind of rambling aside, it is your final segment. This is Daniel's oh. wish list for 2024. Hit me with him. All right. You, the things you want to see most, these are, if you, if you are listening to this and you can affect these changes as a player, coach, fan, or whatever, and you don't in 2024, Please. A pox on your family. Curses. I yeah. All over please, the place. Please, please, please make all these things happen. Especially this first item, which we're going to kick things off with New York. I want to see New York lose at least two games this year. I'm getting oh, greedy. Oh. Because obviously we know how difficult it is to win 30 straight games. 45 straight games is what it would be if New York again 
goes undefeated. I think it's decently likely that they lose a game, given how close these games have been over the past couple of years. But for them to lose two games, I think that that will finally give me like enough uh, evidence that this team is actually human and that we're not just going to keep seeing New York undefeated seasons for the next five plus years. So please, D.C., Salt Lake, if you guys play them, Colorado, whoever whoever comes across New York this year, Philly, I, I kind of have faith in Philly that they might... They might get it done. They would be the team to end. They New want York's it. They, they want that bad. We would, we would never hear the end of it. We would never hear the end of it, but they would do it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm call, it's an open call to all AUDL teams to, to beat New York, not once, but twice this year. Uh, preferably, you know, before championship weekend. Don't let them win another championship. Next item on here, speaking of championships, I, I would like to see Salt Lake win their first championship at home. I just think that environment would be incredibly electric. I'm I'm envisioning the Salt Lake Minnesota semifinal game, but like even elevated maybe beyond that crowd that we saw at TCO Stadium this past year. Uh, and for us to get that two days in a row would be would be incredible. So I would love to see Salt Lake win. They they have had a excellent trajectory as a franchise through their first two years in the league and so I, I hope they can just continue that ascent. Uh, my next thing on here is directly tied to that. Jordan Kerr. It's time for Jordan Kerr to win an MVP in 2024. He has come way too close the past couple of years not to have won it. Here's, Go ahead. And here's a question. Yeah. Have Have Jordan Kerr's past two seasons been the best non-MVP seasons <laughs> other than Probably. like 2016 Misha Frey's daughter who scored 95 goals? <laughs> and was just dominant. That Cannons team didn't make a playoff that really hurt his candidacy, I feel like, that year. Obviously, Jack Williams these past couple of years, but, I mean, Kerr threw 90 assists yeah. in 2022. 2023, it felt like, even though some of the raw scoring numbers were down, if you watched a game, he was visibly better. He was picking his spots more. The way that they could just lean on him in certain scenarios, I'm thinking of the end of that Aviators game, Aviators kept doing roller yeah. pulls, setting up these trap dynamics, and Kerr would just pick up and kind of immediately undo it in a way where it's just they're getting easy scores down the stretch to win a playoff game. He just enables that team. Like, has there been a better non-MVP player <laughs> I, than Jordan Kerr? I really, I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, even in the, I mean, the semifinals this past year, he was fantastic against Minnesota. And then even in the championship game, I mean, yeah, we point to the the zero scores, but or whatever, maybe one score, but he had no turnovers too, and like drew the the defensive player of the year matchup. Like he still didn't have such a bad game. I think just the impact was was diminished by what New York brought to the table. But yeah, Jordan Kerr, I, I also think he's still he's still on the upward trajectory, right? Like he's still he's big right now, yeah, man. I don't think he's Have you seen his, his offseason. Yeah, I don't think he's hit his prime yet. I think that whole team is gonna continue to get better and as the pieces around him grow, I think that's gonna allow him to get more efficient, just like we saw this past season. So yes, I think it's time for a Kerr MVP year. I would also like to see as far as offseason news goes, like you mentioned before, it's been very quiet. I would like to see, uh, ready for this, an all UFA level player, not all AUDL, an all UFA player. Oh, those letters. It's I'm referring to the the thing of old. Uh, but anyway, I would like to see someone, <laughs> some high profile player like that, 
change teams. I need I need some some offseason movement. I want some high profile signings, bouncing around, going different places, and that's more for just like my own my own benefit and interest of the offseason. Like I I really think like this announcement is going to kind of propel us forward as far as building towards the season goes. And if we can get some fun player movement going, I think that's just going to increase hype, increase anticipation, uh, and again, hopefully build these rosters to challenge New York, which is the number one goal. A couple more items on here. I would like to see Austin make it to the championship game. Not win the championship, but make it to the championship game. It was 2021 or 2022 when they beat Carolina. You remember that? And I called them elite, and I remember you made me defend myself on this podcast uh, and I consider them a top five team. They've really, really backed me up on that. I mean, their trajectory since 2019 has just gone up and up, you know, in 2021, they had those wins over Dallas 2022, again, the Carolina making the playoffs. And then this past year making the playoffs, winning two playoff games, both like against the, the teams that we thought were, were more of a lock to go to championship weekend than Austin was. Uh, and you know, we don't have to talk about what they did at championship weekend, but what Steven Najee has done with this team and with their young players and the roster just continuing to build and get better. That's also similar to Salt Lake. So many young players that I don't think have reached their prime yet, including Kyle Henke, who is like playing through a shoulder injury this past season. I think there's still room for a lot of upwards growth for the Austin soul. Were you going to say something? Austin just announced their four captains for this year and Kyle Henke, Mark Evans, Joey Wiley, and Evan Swiatek, who were obviously our main core to their uh, winning last year and were so, so good. And I was just going to say, I I totally agree with your take. I'm just thinking, you know, it took an overtime game in Atlanta to get to championship weekend. Does that change with that result? I mean, you know, Austin got to their first championship weekend they defeated their two closest rivals they took care of business and yet until those playoff games we thought of them as being a good step behind carolina and atlanta in 2023 it's just it's so interesting to me how much those perceptions change with back-to-back wins in the playoffs versus they seemingly had not been able to overcome those teams just before those two weeks, right? Like right. they they were struggling to get wins against the Flyers and the Hustle. They didn't quite seem to get over that hump except for these kind of crucial victories in, as you say, uh, 2021. And then again in 2022 over Atlanta, you know, Austin yeah, getting right, a win in 2021. Game. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. No, like I, they got those the soul got those individual wins and they felt momentous and they're obviously important to the franchise, right. but we even debated. And I think what I meant for you to debate about in particular, that victory over the flyers was just that flyers are playing their second game on a back-to-back. Mitigating circumstances. I just yeah. wanted to see Austin do it straight up. Yeah. And now that they've done it straight up, it to your point. Yeah. I mean, they are accredited now. They are a contender and, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all to your prediction to see them in the championship against potentially a home Salt Lake team. Yeah, yet I still think people are going to kind of be lower on Austin than maybe some of these other teams. And it's it's because it's because of all the Texas games, right? It's because they're just going to be beating up on Dallas and Houston all year again. And I'm hoping – I haven't seen the, the, the schedule yet, are... but I want to see some interdivisional games for Austin. I'm really hoping that they can get some some <laughs> other action – Besides their, yeah. their Texas counterparts. 
Well, I mean, they faced Chicago in 2022 and Madison in those back-to-back yeah, games. I thought that fun. was a terrific test for them. Those yes. were great. I, I would, I, I still think also Austin a little bit does to them to themselves because of the volatility of their yeah. results. You know, they fair, have fair. their two biggest wins, and then they lay an egg against New York in the semifinals. It's sure, just, sure, it's this tough, tough, and it feels like it's always that with the soul. Where yes, they get this like performance and you're behind them and then Atlanta does wax them by five goals in a game and it makes you reconsider things you know it just keeps them in I I agree I think the highs are there I just the lows still are too and until those go away a little bit more I I mean hey they started winning games when it mattered most I I don't doubt that they can do that again this year uh and obviously more more big game experience is never a bad thing anyway we'll move on from Austin uh, I've just got two more two more things I want to see in 2024. The first being I would like to see Cam Brock score his 700th career goal. Sounds like a big ask because it is. He's only at 613 <laughs> currently. He's at 613. He would have to have 87 goals this year. But Cam is going to be rejuvenated, fueled by this new co-hosting position. We're going to be having an inside look. Training. What? He's got a trainer for the first time. He's right, right. Fit. I saw that. Yeah, he, yeah, he is going to, I mean, he's going to come back stronger than ever. We're going to see it live being documented from his perspective every single week, how he just put up 10 goals in Madison, another nine in Chicago. Uh, and yeah, he's just going to be, it's going to be motivated by this podcast and and his offseason training, of course. But Cam Brock, get to, uh, get to number 700. It's kind of the. It's potentially your last. My, I'm not. I wouldn't. I won't say last milestone, but yeah, it's it's the good. It's a good next milestone to aim for. Uh, and then my final thing I would like to see happen in 2024 is for Swing Pass to average 2,000 or more listeners plus viewers on every episode. I think we're pretty close. I think we're we're maybe around 1,500 currently between YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, but if you're an AUDL fan, if you have friends that are AUDL fans, players, what coaches, kind of fan, Daniel? What kind of fan do they need to be? I feel like I was, I was, we were getting so close to the end of of this, end of me you being on this, trapped. and then I just, I you let out this? like ten AUDLs all in a row. <laughs> Oh you're, boy! Anyway. You're one of those triathletes, like you're they're within visibility <laughs> of the finish line, and it's yeah. like the Gatorade commercial. You're just like falling over, totally dehydrated. <laughs> like there's nothing else in the tank. You just oh, have boy. that tension. That's what happens. When you you give me you give me a monologue for for the first time ever, and I just totally botch it at the end. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, UFA fans, Ultimate fans everywhere, tell your friends about this podcast. Uh, Adam and Cam are going to do an amazing job this year, and I'm going to join you all as listeners. And we'll have you on as a segment. We'll figure something oh, out. We I'll need to get some from time to time. Or something, some kind of hot take. You know, yeah. I'm sure I can get Cam riled up. We'll just kind of set you two on each other and I'll just sit back and let the dust settle or something. Yeah, maybe my takes maybe my takes are bound to get hotter if I only make like occasional guest spots. <laughs> like I'll, I'll feel the need to be more more impactful with my time. Come on here and desert a Detroit playoff run. <laughs> something absolutely astronomically wild. I'm done making like. Detroit predictions. I think I only tried that one year in 2022. I thought they'd win a game maybe, but we all we all we, we all, all go it. down that path at some point. We, we all look at the darkness long enough where we think it looks back at us and we say, "Hey, you know what? 
this is the year. I was actually yeah. just going back through a whole bunch of old articles from 2021, and that was my year. That was when I got <laughs> through Detroit. Hey man, streak my streak my break. Uh, they this keep teasing one. us though is the problem. Like they're they're not they're not so bad. Like out of the, they play they play competitive games. They really do. They've they've done it to themselves, and this just happened in the NBA with also a Detroit franchise where the Pistons set an all-time losing record. And what happens after a certain point is that, yes, you then start getting the opponent's best game because they don't want to be <laughs> right. the one to it's break the streak anymore. It's not necessarily fair in a real way because, yeah, you're now suddenly getting like the playoff effort of a team that might otherwise take it as an off game. But, again... No the, one fact, the, fact, the fact what? what you just said kind of loans itself to, to when teams play like New York and Detroit, they kind of bring the same intensity, which is just a silly, a silly thought. But I don't think you're that far off. <laughs> that's the that's the craziest fish hook theory I've heard yet. <laughs> I think I that's I think that's basically what you said. I was just connecting the dots. I was connecting the dots. So it's it's those second and third rotation radicals players championship weekend when they go on the road and face the mechanics every single time absolutely but yeah you know again the that is not the streak to pay attention to going into 2024 the 30 game new york empire streak is the one to pay attention to but we will be getting to that before you before you wrap uh i think new york just needs one game one win to set the all-time record for for winning streak, yeah. right? Which is held by yeah. is it Toronto? Toronto. Okay. Toronto. They are currently tied with the 2013-14 Toronto Rush and 30-game win streak. If New York wins week one, they will claim the new all-time record. And then after that point, I would like to see them go 1-11. and That'd be great. But we'll talk about that more with Cam Brock in his introduction in just a second. Daniel, thank you so much. Thank Enough you. could not be said for your contributions. And again, it won't be the last time you're seeing him here. On Swing Pass, we'll be taking a quick break. See you in just a moment. to swing pass the brand new co-host indianapolis alley cats legend the league's all-time leading goal scorer cameron brock cam thanks so much for coming on the show both tonight and indefinitely going forward you've signed up for quite a lot my friend I have. Um, but you know what? I'm incredibly excited. Um, when you reached out to me about this opportunity, first off, to set the stage, this was not something where it was like a back and forth over the course of like weeks or anything. It was literally end of November, beginning of December. I am sitting in class, like I'm a teacher and my kids are working on something. I see I get a text from Adam and I'm like, oh, what's what's Ruffner up to? And <laughs> text back and forth a couple times and he's like hey by the way wanna co-host swing pass you don't have to give me an answer right now and i was like the answer is yes 
right now. Like I'm all <laughs> in. Uh, it was an uncomplicated proposal. I'm sorry I didn't do it in person. I probably should have like invited some family members or you know been a little bit more. I think thoughtful about it in general. You know, Elliot Moore did it with Kyle Henke in the Austin Soul game in 2022. I could have done something a little bit more showy for you, I'm sure. But yeah, man, I I I I think you were the literally first person that I thought of co-hosting this, just given how much you love talking about this stuff, your experience in the league, and I think what viewers will and listeners will soon come to realize is just like your extensive knowledge of just the inner workings of what goes on with ultimate. And, you know, you're now going into your 12th season in 2024. However many seasons of the league there's been, that's the season yeah, I'm on. We're, we're on 12. We're going to be on 12. And so you're, you know, you've been here since day one, you've been here preceding me by a few years even. And I feel like an old cat in this league at this point. So it's just, it's such a pleasure to have you on here. And I've got to ask you, what are you excited about now going from AUDL where you are the all-time leading goal scorer to now the UFA where you're, I'm sure you're going to put in your work. Daniel had a lot of confidence in you. He thinks he's you're going <laughs> to score, I think, 87 goals was his wow. uh, his his high water mark for you to get to 700 this year, which... I, I would say it would be out of reach for a lot of people, but you are one of the two players in league history with a 90-plus goal season. So, you know, you still might have it in the bag. You're doing a lot of fitness this off season, But I, I wanted to get your take and just your general uh, outlook on new disc, new league, new feel. What are you, what are you thinking about heading into 2024? Uh, first off, uh, let's t- the rebrand. I think is great. Like getting to the three letter model of the professional leagues, just like all the rest of them is great. Um, kind of sad. We didn't go with the NFL, the national Frisbee league and try to see if we could take that one away. Uh, maybe get some accidental into that SEO. Like, let's just go straight for the top dog, you know, get the accidental reroutes to our site. Like people think they're looking up football and all of a sudden they see flat ball instead. Um, so no, uh, the branding um, on board with Ultimate Frisbee is way more recognizable as a name than Ultimate Disc. I feel like I'm going to be explaining myself a lot less to people when they ask about the league and they're going to make that connection much easier. Um, so I think the rebrand probably overdue, but better late than never uh, to switch to the three letter model and make it a more recognizable name. Um, as far as the disc goes, I've got no problem changing discs. Um, I think anyone who spends time complaining about a disc change, especially one that from everything I know about it is almost, no, there's very little difference in 98% of the throws you're going to try. Um, there are going to be those throws that, you know, I've heard that it won't quite hold that that like hard OI shape as much necessarily, um, or that they're, it might, but it also that it functions a little bit better in adverse weather, which is like playing in the Midwest where early season games, you could like, I've played games in snow. I played games in sleet. I played games in hail. Um, it's almost always windy and all of our venues that we go to, uh, occasionally we get a, a calm wind somewhere, but very rarely do we have an outdoor game. That's not pretty windy in the Midwest. Um, so and that makes it a better playing experience and a better fan experience. Like that we're, we're taking some of that, the elements 
out of it. Um, nobody likes to go watch a game like what we saw with New York and Boston this past year, where it was just a torrential downpour and you're, you're just seeing sloppy ultimate. It looks like a bunch, you know, it looks like anyone could have been out there throwing the disc because the elements just take over and nobody wants that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear all your points. I, I got to add a, just a dash of salt to it. Cause I don't know. I know for all your accomplishments in this league, I don't know if throwing it has always been at the top of that list. I know you've been getting better. Like I, I watched the film, like you're definitely, definitely upping that metric, but you know, Keegan North, he made that incredible layout this past year, but that that was on one of your throws. That was on that it was, was on a cross field tester. I haven't really seen you throw in a, a midfield outlet huck like tried that. Tried to throw it a little too quick. <laughs> Got a little excited. Uh, didn't quite transition do much. Transition ultimate's <laughs> fun, man. Transition yeah. ultimate is fun. But I, I digress. I, I'm glad to hear that the early experiences with the disc have been good. I think the general. Uh, sentiment is similar. You know, there's always going to be an adjustment. And as we talked in the first half of this podcast with Daniel, there's th- this is a very common trend throughout most professional leagues is some sort of, I think, uh, internal development of what you're doing with the game ball, the game disc in this case. So I- I'm just for kind of, I think, a little bit more experimentation at the edges. Obviously, we don't want to completely reinvent the quote-unquote wheel here but at the same time i think it's good to push a little bit in new directions but you know super series we can't quite say it yet but i know you guys in indianapolis are going to be involved in that a little bit you guys have a big interdivisional game coming up in 2024 uh we'll i'm sure get to that at a later episode when we can really talk about the full super series schedule you know there's going to be a ton to talk about with the ufa going forward for the next several weeks. And obviously, as we approach the opening poll of the 2024 season at the end of April, that particular date is also still up in the air. And obviously, the road to Salt Lake in August on 24th and 25th is at the end of the road. But before all of that, we should get to three big things for each of us. We've both decided on three topics we'd like to discuss Heading into this episode, Cam, I'm of course going to let you take off the inaugural honors as far as what you'd like to bring to the show tonight and what you're excited for heading into 2024. What's something that you really got your eye on? Yeah, I have my eyes. Uh, first off, guy, I'm going to go with guys I'd like to see get more O-reps this year. So I've picked one player in each division. Um, although I will say in the East division, it was a little more challenging. Uh, I'm, 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 I might cheat a little bit there, but, uh, just, on the show. we got no judges, <laughs> just guys that, um, you know, I'm not trying to re, uh, reinvent anyone's offense, but guys that I think deserve a look, or if they're already getting a look, maybe a little harder look on the offensive side of the desk. And I'm going to start with a guy actually that played a decent amount of offense last year and looked to be really an offensive force, especially early in the season, and then kind of got less playing time there the season on. That's Will Selfridge uh, out at Salt Lake. Man, that kid is so impressive. Um, not only – it's not just the scoring. It's it's the fact that he's, what, 20 years old, and yep. in, his, in his two seasons, his average completion percentage right now is 96% for a 20-year-old cutter. I mean, that – alone is super impressive to me but the fact that he 
was so integral to so much of what they were doing in the early part of the season and looked so comfortable out there. And you can tell he just has this game sense, this field sense where he understands where to go and when to go there. And I always talk about when I'm watching people play, for me, it's not about speed and athleticism on offense. For me, it's about timing because there are lots of guys who are fast and there are lots of guys who can jump high and can be quick, but none of that really matters if you are mistiming things. You're you're cutting other people off. You're going too early, and you're too far away for your thrower. All these things, and he just seems to get it at such an early age. Um, and that's just something that sometimes it, I feel like you can't teach. It's just like this innate ability that people have. And he's starting out at such a high point that I can't even begin to fathom where he's going to be when he actually hits like his athletic prime too, like around his mid to late twenties. So he played, you know, about half his points almost or 40% of his points on offense this year. But I think he might need to be a guy who's, you know, consistently out there on the O-line and just continuing to develop and continuing to be a problem for defenses. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more as far as Selfridge goes. I've been on the Selfridge bandwagon since last year, or I should say now two years ago in 2022 when he was a rookie. You know, and one of the things that's really quick to forget about him is that he only got to play four or five games in his rookie season due to having a massive knee injury in high school nationals of that year that derailed his season, kind of threw off a lot of the mojo that Salt Lake had been working with him and Joe Merrill and the offense really testing the speed limits and the outside rails and engaging Jordan Kerr, of course, on the left side of the field using his throwing acumen. But Selfridge, man, like, he, to your point, he's got this kind of naturalness to when he steps on the field. There's, there's a swagger to him, too, which I think is so important for the Salt Lake team that does so much within system well, that does so much to maximize this efficiency, that I think at times it could take a little bit more to maybe make the big play, maybe have an emphatic statement. I thought that was something that they lacked both in the semifinal win against Minnesota and then especially against New York in the championship. They had that one uh, double layout kind of bookends with Tony Munga and Ben Hoffman and maybe a a couple hucks here or there, but they really kind of lacked a galvanizing highlight play. And a guy like Selfridge for them, I just feel like he does that sort of thing on the regular, whether it's actually making a statement sky or layout or even just his bus driver celebration where he's just kind of throwing it around in people's faces. He adds such an important dimension, both with his playmaking and I think with his energy to the Salt Lake team that obviously has just those things in spades elsewhere. But he seems just like, like to your point, just, just that extra step above. And, and like you say, like what's going to happen when he actually matures, he's what, less than 20 games into his pro career. And it feels like he's just got that look. Yeah. Um, he, he's special. Um, guys that young aren't supposed to be that efficient on offense, um, especially against other like great players. So he, he's my, he's, he's like the number one guy. Like I know he got some overups <laughs> last year, but like keep that kid on the field. Like I, I just feel like also, with some other guys, when they're older, you, you kind of know they're like closer to their ceiling. And with him, it's just the more you put him out there, the more he's just going to get better and better. He, I, I don't think we've seen anywhere near his ceiling. Like 
people don't peak at 20, you know, like, so I would just love to see him more. All right, moving on to someone in a completely different situation. We got Will Selfridge, who's on, you know, last year, the consensus second best team in the league. Um, and moving to uh, actually Dallas, who kind of in the opposite situation, uh, the Dallas Legion, you know, they were fighting, trying not to finish last in their division last year. But speaking from experience, from having to go through some years on Alley Cats where we struggled and we couldn't get to the playoffs, what we decided when coach Eric Leonard took over was that we just needed, we needed to put our, our best players on offense. We did not have the depth at that time to be spreading ourselves and saying like, Hey, we're going to put some of our players here, some of our players there. And in that same light, Connor DeLuna, I think he is a playmaker for them. He is a big body. He's an athlete and he played some offense last year, but I think switching him full time to offense and having that be the primary way he's used when you're when you're on a team that's kind of lacking that that talent all the way one to 20 and you need to be able to try to find a way to stay in games the best way you can do that is make sure you're increasing that hold percentage because what what, it, what do teams that you know struggle at the bottom of the league the biggest struggle the biggest indicator is going to be that hold percentage so when you put your best players out over there on the offense you give yourself a better chance to stay in games um especially when you're now when if you're in a situation where you have talent all over the place you can kind of pick and choose who who fits where like you can put Binyad on defense if you're the New York Empire even though he can also go out there and put up maybe the best game we've ever seen in the you know in the semifinal or sorry in the division championship right against mm -hmm. um the DC Breeze but the Dallas Legion are at least not in this iteration of the Dallas Legion like of the Dallas team they are not that they they need to be front loading their offense as much as possible. Connor DeLuna, I think switching over to offense could give them a little boost. Um, and at, at the very least, give them a chance to clearly be the better team between them and Houston. Um, and at most, pick off, you know, a game or two against some of the other teams in the division. Yeah, I, I, I think that Dallas didn't show its high potential last year. Obviously, they struggled to their lowest win total in franchise history. This is a team that made three straight championship weekends between 2016 and 2019. Excuse me, that's four. Uh, they won in 2016, and then they made three other championship weekend appearances after that. And since then, it's been a bit of a downward trend for Dallas. Um, they had a good playoff year in 2021. 2022 began a little bit of this downward turn in 2023. They finished with just two wins. But to your point, I think DeLuna being that kind of all-star presence, you know, he had that terrific kind of start to the 2022 showcase game where he was showing out that offensive talent that you were talking about, that ability to go downfield and just sort of make plays. I know that's such a, a blase way to present it, but it really makes a difference to your point on some of these teams, just looking for a foothold in some of these games. I think what Dallas struggled with last year wasn't necessarily maybe the talent so much as the ability to stymie off going against an opponent who would go on a 5-1, 6-1 run and just sort of blow things wide open. I think, to your point, pairing DeLuna with an Alex Wilson Holiday, who was like a most improved player last year, finished with over 3,000 yards, I think close to 40 goals. I'd have to go look up the specifics, but he looked like a true offensive talent. You pair DeLuna with someone like that, it just starts to be able to spread defenses out, I think, a little bit more in a way that Dallas 
desperately needs on offense. Do you know how much easier my life got cutting when Rick Gross transitioned to offense? <laughs> like, seriously, like I got everyone's yeah. best matchup every game and I was still getting getting mine, right? But when Rick came over, they were some teams decided, oh, we're going to put our best player, our best defender on Rick Gross. And I was like, great. That's great. You do that. And then Keegan North came over and some of them were like, we're going to put our best guy on Keegan and our second best guy on Rick. And I'm like, great you do that you know it's just it's just like the we see this in the nfl all the time it's like you can have a great receiver but if you have no one behind them no one to back them up you know you can put someone over the top you can make sure that they're always facing two three defenders every time they're going to catch a pass it's the same way in ultimate right like alec wilson holiday was incredible last year and he made some incredible plays and clearly like improved a ton and when i watched the dallas game Yes, I was watching Dallas games, I promise. Um, <laughs> like, he stood out. But, like, imagine how much easier his life gets when you put Connor DeLuna out there, who's a big body, the good athlete, who can go and go get open, I think, at a similar clip. And now you have two people to worry about um, who are who can really bust a defense open. So, in a, in a similar vein, um, my, my central division pick for person I'd like to see on offense although not if it makes you too good and makes you like maybe win games against us, but would be Asher Lance. Um, Chicago had a rough season last year. Um, commitment was kind of up and down. They had some injury issues. And one of the things that was just so noticeable with Jeff White's not playing anymore was just the lack of like height and ability to go get a disc on offense. Andrew Shogren is an awesome player and he can run forever and he can get open. But he's he's a pretty small guy. Um, he'll win a he can win a jump ball against guys similar to his oh, height. True, I mean his nickname is Shrew for a reason. <laughs> right. So I just think um, he's a guy. Also, he was a little like in his rookie season, he developed into a great D line player for them and had an amazing block in the semifinal game against Colorado, right on the goal line. And I mean right. that was like. Yeah. And that, but that's the kind of athleticism he's working with. He's a big body. He's got, he's what, 6'3, 6'4 at least, um, got great speed. And this past season, he made an eight percentage point jump in completion percentage, which shows to me that he's like, he's getting more comfortable with the disc in his hands. Um, he's no longer like he was kind of that guy in 2022. You almost, if on a turn, you would almost be like, let's let Asher catch an under and just see what happens because. He, he wasn't comfortable with this because he jumped up into the mid nineties in his completion percentage last year. And they could just really use a big athlete on offense because they were a team that didn't really pressure you deep at all. Like you, you were not scared of them putting a disc further than 15, 20 yards downfield unless Jack Shanahan was leaking out down there. But outside of that, they weren't putting a lot of pressure on defenses. They were relying on a lot more small ball. And when they did throw deep, it was ugly. So I think adding somebody like Asher Lance uh, into the offensive rotation could really alleviate that and really put more pressure on defenses to respect the deep game. Yeah. And to your point, you know, in college in Middlebury, I believe he won a title with them. That was kind of his bag was being a big ostentatious kind of dynamic playmaker. And I definitely think you've seen flashes of that to mm -hmm. your points there. There are moments, right? Like he's a disc getter. He goes up, he attacks the disc at a high point. He can really use his length to his advantage in the air. 
And I think as he continues to develop as a thrower, that will really become dynamic on the mark, being able to kind of stride out around defenders. You see so many tall players, I think, using their frame and their length to their advantage. He just has all the tools. And I think you're right. They need that kind of spark plug right now in offense. They've got a lot of, I think, really reliable players. You know, their their foundation pieces, I think, are there. But there needs to be a little bit more flammability, I think, to that roster and that lineup to really give them a little bit more challenge and get them maybe back into where they'd like to be. I know that they made the playoffs this past year, but given their first round exit against you guys and how they've just been playing towards the back end of that season, it felt like a pretty pretty big whimper after making a championship game appearance in 2022. Obviously, there was sort of the epical turnover of losing Pavel and, to your point, Jeff Weiss and Ross Barker semi-retired and now fully retired, you know, Shout out to Ross Barker. I'm sure we'll do a more, uh, uh, I think, worthy announcement of all of the kind of changeover that's happened in a future episode. But right now, just a quick shout out. Ross Barker retired for Chicago. Longtime great player for them. Will not be joining them back again in 2024. But Chicago has gone through a lot of tumult. They still have a lot of good pieces. And a player like Lance, I think, could provide a lot for them. But you've got one more. This was hard. Uh, in the East Division... <laughs> I looked at DC's roster and I was just like, you could put 15 guys on offense on this oh, roster. Oh, DC's like, here's the topic I want to get to with you at a, at a later time is, is DC too versatile? Do they have and that was where I was gonna too get to. many players who lack a specialty because you can just interchange so many pieces? That was where I was going to get to. First off, um, I am a firm believer in limiting who you have functioning in your offensive unit. Um, and I think when you look at the top teams in the league, that's actually generally what they do. And DC is kind of the outlier. Um, Carolina a little bit too, although last year they weren't one of the top teams in the league. So maybe that's had something to do with it. Um, I just think when you have, it's like too many chefs in the kitchen, right? Like you just, you can't build that consistency and that reliability offensively when you are shuffling people and out, no matter how talented they are. Um, I was listening to AJ Merriman talk on the Tobu Fitness podcast, actually. And he was, one of the questions he talks about getting all the time was what is the DC truck stop system? And, um, you know, and he's like, there's not really a system. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like, I'm like, you know what the system is? The system is have players who are great at making short breakthroughs and just knowing that you can put it to a spot where a defender can't get to it. Like that's the system. The system, there is no system. It's you have a bunch of really talented throwers that any throw within 10 to 15 yards from any angle, they can all make them. They can make them all around any mark and that's great, but they don't stretch the field. They're, they were terrible at hucking the disc and in a league where a field as big as we're playing on, if you're not taking advantage of that space, you are just missing out on a lot, right? And one guy who I know is great at taking advantage of that space from personal experience is Thomas Edmonds. Like that guy needs to be playing offense. I know he's he is definitely a talented player that can play defense. He had seven blocks last year and I, I believe 11 games played or somewhere in that neighborhood. And, you know, that's nothing to sneeze at. But he he is so talented of an offensive player. You can put him in the handler space. You can put him in the cutting space. And no matter where you put him, he's going to 
wreak havoc on defenses. And he is somebody who is one of the most consistently good players I've ever played against. Like even on Pittsburgh teams where he did not have a lot to work with around him in terms of offensive talent, um, where he was maybe working with just like a couple guys who were really, I think, anywhere near his level, he was able to not only play well himself, but elevate the players around him. And I think that he was misused last year. And, you know, outsider's perspective, I get it. He was new to the team, but I think he just, he's just too good of an offensive weapon to not be out there more often. I, this is getting annoying, man. You're starting to turn into Daniel 2.0 despite not having the hair where I'm just going to sit here and agree with you a lot of times. Uh, Two points about Edmonds. One, I I completely concur. And I think that in addition to everything that you said, he's a playmaker, man. He goes out and he makes some hellacious highlight plays when he needs to. In terms of a single coverage, just go and get the disc offensively, defensively. He's in a completely elite tier as far as that goes. I mean, him and Max Shepard running that two-man game that they did for a few years in Pittsburgh, diabolical. I'm sure you Mm -hmm. can attest to it. I know you didn't necessarily have to defend against them, but I've talked to some Central Division defenders, and that was not a fun duo to go up against. And B, I've thrown this comparison out, and I I, want to be a little tentative about it given the accolades of the other person. But I'm going to test it out on you here. I feel like Thomas Edmonds has a very comparable profile to Jack Williams. It's not just a smaller body. It's not quite, I think, as showcased in some of the specific settings that Jack has in terms of the ability to go every other, be the dominant person, be the best thrower, facilitator in the biggest moments. That's been Jack's bag the past several years. You know, we've got playoff Jack in this league for his ability to just perform in seemingly the biggest stages and the biggest moments. I think that Thomas Edmonds has that kind of DNA. I don't think we've had the opportunity to see it in the kinds of games that Jack has been a part of, but his his ability to fill up as a volume thrower to then facilitate downfield as an athletic receiver, the defensive duties he did this past year in DC. And I agree to your point. I think that it it was both understandable that they wanted to put him on D-line, given that it was his first year with the Breeze and that they had such an established system, to your point. Um, But it it just didn't quite... It didn't quite optimize what I think you or I or some of the more... Edmonds specific fan club people have been witnessing over the past couple of years, which is that he's on this steady ascent, man. And if you give him a little bit, he'll just kind of run off of that fuel. Like it doesn't really seem like he's hit a ceiling and yet he appears to be one of the more well-rounded players. I mean, I remember to your point on one of those Pittsburgh teams, he came into Madison and Madison still had one of its more potent defenses. It was the first game of the season. It was a little bit cold out. He completed a hundred throws without a turnover against the radical zone. You know, like he can just go out there and do what is necessary in a given role. He's, he's sort of matriculated away from being that completely high volume thrower, but it wouldn't be outside of his bag to go get 50 completions a game. 
It wouldn't be outside of his bag to go get six scores a game. He did that in his, I think, uh, debut with the Breeze last year when they were playing Mm -hmm. in both ways. I think he scored five or six times and they defeated the Flyers on the road. You know, like he can just, he can fill up that role. So that's, that's my long-winded agreement with you. Um, (laughs) You know what? We took up a lot of time on my first point. So why don't we go ahead and go to one of your points now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we could also trim these down to maybe like two points a piece or something. Sure. Uh, I I just like my biggest question, other than how far will New York's 30 game winning streak continue? Will they get this first win and just set the new record? Will it continue into a third straight perfect season? My biggest question is, will the divisional parity also continue? Because outside of the East, it's been chaos in the central west and south i mean in each of those divisions there's been three different champions in the past four seasons each of those divisions has just one team that has made it twice in the past four seasons which means that there's just complete tumult and i just think that that's going to continue into this year i think that there is the chance that all of the teams that made it from their respective divisions last year will repeat. You know, Salt Lake has a fantastic carrot on the end of their stick and the ability to host championship weekend this year. I think that they have a great shot. But as you and I have talked about offline, Colorado feels like a sleeping giant. They started off 5-0 and last year. They finished the season 3-5. and They kind of backpedaled out. They lost an opening round playoff game to L.A. at home. They had a lot of roster inconsistency, but man, there is just so much talent with the Summit. They're still so young. They're, they're, they're a team that feels like they're just bound to improve through the simple progression of time. And given that half their roster is still progressing into their mid-20s, uh, that feels... And, and just, I think, the general t- like melee-ness of the West, it just feels like with Salt Lake being on top, there's a giant target on their back. So who knows what goes on on there? The South, as you and I kind of intimated, might have three championship contenders in it with Austin, Atlanta, and Carolina. Carolina won 2021 championship. Uh, They qualified for two straight years at championship weekend in 2021 and 2022. And then Austin this last year went white hot in the playoffs, knocked out both Carolina and Atlanta on the road. Or excuse me, they won at home to begin the playoffs in 2023 knocked off Carolina or Atlanta in the South division championship game, and then made their first franchise appearance. So the South is completely up in the air. Atlanta or Austin is returning their captainship in 2024. We talked about in the first half of this podcast, but the cores of Carolina and Atlanta are still foreseeably very intact going into 2024. It's going to be a dog fight down there. And then the central, you know, better than I do. That division has just been completely up in the air since Madison sort of ceded their reign following their title in 2018. You guys qualified for championship weekend in 2019. Chicago qualified in 2021 and 2022. Minnesota qualified this last year. I have no idea which one of you three or possibly Pittsburgh or Madison getting back into it will qualify in this coming season. It's just, it's it's pandemonium out there. And I have... No sense, especially with there not being much uh, off-season movement as to what's going to happen in this coming season. It's really going to come down to who's going to have the best rookie crop, who can stay healthy, who are these maybe, you know, 
dynamic players that they can find new roles for sort of galvanizes a new effort. It's just, I don't know it, it there's, there's New York as the constant. And I think they take our eyes admittedly so much away from everything else, given their successes, but everywhere else, there's just chaos. Again, <laughs> there's no sense of what is supposed to happen elsewhere in this league right now. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it on the head to start, though. I think the most intriguing one for me would be Colorado. Like, it's it's all going to come down to this. If you want to know why Carolina struggled last year, you want to know why Colorado struggled last year after looking like they were the best teams in their divisions um, pretty clearly the years before, it's roster consistency. Uh, the Comet analysis um, guy that came out like midway through the season and started putting out yeah. all the metrics. I mean, if you look... Here's the thing about New York. So, so many people who don't pay close enough attention to the AUDL. Um, USA. Which is UFA. Is, yeah, <laughs> UFA. So many people who don't pay enough attention to the UFA. Like it has so much to do with people just know who the top end players on a team are, but then they don't pay attention to who's actually playing in the games. And they don't pay attention to like when those names are missing. And I'll take like maybe the most stark example from last season where a team played a game with so many of their key pieces missing on a very, on the national stage. And that was when Minnesota went to Colorado last year and everyone was like, and that was when Colorado was struggling and they won that game big. And people were like, Colorado might be back. Like they might've found their swagger again, but I knew being somebody who obviously plays against Minnesota a lot, but also somebody who, I probably watch as much AUDL Ultimate as anybody outside of maybe you. And um, I knew going to that game, Abe Coffin's first game back from injury, he was going to be out of shape. He was going to be maybe even playing through pain. You had Quinn Snyder, I think, was not at that game. Um, maybe they were missing Colin Barry in that game. Um, yep. They were missing four or five of their top 15 players and had Abe Coffin fresh off of injury playing at altitude. So just imagine you haven't been playing at all for five weeks. And then your first game back, you have to travel and go play in the Rockies. Like all these things were set up for Minnesota to fail. And people thought, well, there's no way they'll stand a chance against Salt Lake, right? I knew if they had everyone there, they could gum things up and they could slow the game down. And I was not so sure that Salt Lake was going to run away with it. Now, did I think it was going to be looking like Minnesota was going to win? I don't know if I would have taken it that far, but I knew they had a chance but that's because I know who shows up and who doesn't. And when you look at who shows up and who doesn't, the one team who does it the best isn't just the most talented team. It's not not just that New York is talented. They show up. They show up to every game. They show up to every practice. Like, I think that's the thing people miss out on. Like, they are so committed to winning. It's not just getting the talent. It's that that talent also is outworking the rest of the league as a whole. And I think that's what Colorado needs to do. They can't just say, hey, we have talented players. Those talented players need to be showing up to practices and even more importantly, showing up to every game. And because they have young players who some might be missing for college or some, for whatever reason, might be able, not be able to make games here or there, you could just tell that that lack of continuity was what, what put them in a situation they ended up in where they just they didn't look crisp for a large portion of the season. Um, so if Colorado can step up its consistency and Carolina had the same problem last year, if they can step up their consistency with the roster, then I think we could definitely see new cha- new division champion out West, like different team this year, different one in the South, which in the South, like you said, 
there are three teams who are all reasonable choices. I, I still favor Atlanta and Carolina if they have roster consistency over Austin, just because but Austin when, has the roster consistency. That's what they've had. They the do years. That's what they do, had. but they don't have the playing consistency. They, they they are a weird one where they roster consistency is there, but the they are so up and down. How many times this year did I look at a game and think they were going to lose to Houston or Dallas? Too many times, and watching those games and they were just turnover fests. They, they were yeah. playing down right, and that's what you don't want to see. Like you don't watch a New York game and see them play down to Montreal, for instance. Like they go in, we are the better team. We're going to show we're the better team from opening poll until the last seconds off the clock. So I love Austin. Austin, my boy Steven Naji down there, former Alley Cat. I mean, I, I love that man to death. And I was so happy for them when they made championship weekend last year. Uh, I think the players themselves would admit that they know they need to be more consistent with their play. But that's what scares me about them, right? The volatility. Are we going to get good soul? Is this is the sun rising or setting in that game? And that's what we got to kind of judge it by. Well, and that even happened in the South Division Championship game. I mean, Atlanta went up early at home, and I thought, well, that's kind of it. Like, I don't really see Austin being able to nudge it back in. And then all of a sudden, they got it a little bit grimier. It became a little bit more of, ironically, a hustle fest. Atlanta was so good at efficiency last year that when Austin kind of brought in a little bit more grit, there was the Radak play, there was some mental stuff going on. They're bigger rivals than I think a lot of people are familiar with. These soul and hustle teams, they go at it. It's got some Southern blood to it. And I just think that Austin, through the course of those back three quarters, turned it into a soul game where it became about the momentum plays, the volatility, the ability for Kyle Hankey to make an insane block in double overtime to prevent what would otherwise be a pretty pedestrian front cone score. And it's just, yeah, I, it felt like Seoul and both those playoff games were able to just tilt it into kind of that crazed atmosphere that they seem to perform so well in. They looked so loose and Atlanta looked so tight that entire game. Yeah. Like every Atlanta mistake, it was like you could see the whole team like, oh. And when Austin makes a mistake because they make a lot like on the reg, right? They're just like, they're just running around like their hair's on fire. Like, we got to get the disc back, you know? Like, and it just like you, they caught Atlanta on a game where they were tight and they definitely weren't playing their best, but to, credit of Austin you still have to take advantage of that like like if they mess up you can't just be like oh well I guess we're getting kind of lucky you still have to go through take advantage bust in those break scores bust in those holds when they have a uh, blown defensive coverage and Austin did that Um, so credit to them but like the south by far I think is the hardest to figure out because I think out west we we think that Salt Lake and Colorado are R1 and 2 in whatever order you want, and that LA and Oakland can definitely sneak a game here and there, but consistently I would definitely favor you know, Colorado or Salt Lake in those matchups, especially, again, going back to roster consistency, if they can get their top dogs out and be there regularly. But in the South, it does feel... I, I do feel that if Carolina gets roster consistency, they are the best team in that division, but not by such a large margin that they can't go lose a game to Atlanta or Austin. Um, and out East, I am done with the 
is DC going to do it this year? Oh, no, I'm done. No, DC is not going to do it this year. Like, <laughs> I, I'm done with the, are they going to do it? I felt like they added all this talent last year, and it was really exciting, and they looked worse. Like, they looked like they took a step back. I, I felt like New York just took, like, DC thought they t- were taking three steps forward, but the problem was they were taking three giant Ben Yacht steps forward, and those are those are 10 of the steps that, you know, that they thought they were taking in DC. And until DC can, until they can put a consistent offense out there and maybe run the same guys. And the, the thing that I kept going back to is when I watched DC last year and they were on the game of the week a lot, and I, I watched them a lot, offense never really looked easy for them. Like the amount of times I saw them in a high saw situation where it looked like there was no outlet for the disc. And I get that you have talented throwers and maybe that was part of the plan, but I don't think part of the plan should ever involve having to rely on your thrower making a great throw just to continue the disc movement. And it just felt like that was what was happening so much last year. And I've never thought that about watching New York. Like the disc just moves where it needs to move. And we talk about the the big names, but you know, even guys like Rushmeyer Bailey and Weinberg, like they they're just as much to credit for that. Lithio, like they're all great too. They, they get outshined, but like those guys, those guys are studs. Like, and it just feels like everything's just easy and open and they just know where to go. And they look so comfortable all the time. And so I just, in the East, I don't, I don't foresee any parody. The most parody you might see is does New York lose a game? But as far as getting a championship weekend, I will write that in the thickest, darkest Sharpie right now. Yeah. I mean, First off, I've got to credit you. I think you might have just come up with the hottest take, which is that the Breeze offense struggles, given that they were number one in team completion rating last year and had the second highest offense efficiency in the league. So that is a a nice hot tea take. And I don't disagree with it. I, I think that you're onto something. I do think that given the style of their sort of William and Mary offense that they like to play on DC truck stop and the small ball components of that, it doesn't always stretch well on the pro field. And there are times where it feels like they're making more adverse angled decisions with some of their attacking styles than maybe they need to. And to your point earlier about Chicago, I feel like sometimes other than a Boxley, they lack somebody who can just go downfield and get it. I think Tyler Monroe or uh, Cole Jurek are obviously capable of becoming those receivers. Those guys are standout in individual coverage. But do we see them in those roles a lot? Not so much. You know, Jurek has become more thrower centric. I think you see, or even becoming more of a facilitator. Timon, I think operates as this terrific kind of moving tight end piece, like almost like a Travis Kelsey for their offense, where he just kind of unsticks them from so many spots, but he gets maybe one to two deep looks a game. You know, it's, it's not a bevy of, of these deep balls, just seeking him out as a receiver. I think even compared to the, the year before when they were doing that a little bit more with Joe Merrill, when he was in their offense and scoring 40 plus goals. So I, I think you're onto something there, but we've now stuck on this too long. I think we need to trim our big three down to big two each. So let's each give our next kind of big piece item heading into 2024. You go first. 
Okay, so given what we've kind of already talked about, I will go with biggest standings uh, climbers and fallers predictions. So what teams do I expect to make the biggest jump up in the standings and which teams do I expect to fall the most in the standings? And I'm actually going to start with Oakland. I think Oakland is not going to compete for a playoff spot this year the way they did this past season. Um, I They were... LA looked like they were getting stronger throughout the season and looked like they were started off rough and had no clue what they were doing. And then just like kind of rounded into shape as Pavel captain to the ship and got the offense to where it needed to be. And Lucas Ambrose is flying around the field. Like he doesn't know what gravity is. Um, I felt like it was the opposite with Oakland um, and Oakland relies so much on the big play. Like you saw it last year, like they won a buzzer beater against Colorado on like just a prayer ball to Keenan Lawrence, who and played awesome last quarter. year. That whole fourth yeah. quarter was trust throws to their young guys. It was just go and make a play against a tired Colorado team playing their second game on a back-to-back. And it, yep. it worked out. Like, and I, it just, I can't It really seems but. to me like like another thing that like wasn't talked about was like the, the turnover issues. Like Dexter Clyburn had some awesome plays and I think he is like an extremely talented player, but like he also was just like a turnover machine and, you know, he's a young player and that tends to happen with younger players. They, they have a lot of bad turnovers, but that needs to be shorn up too. Like if he's going to have be touching the disc that much, like you just can't, just can't be throwing the disc away that much. Can't have that many drops. He had the, I believe the most drops in the league last year, despite only playing in eight or nine games. You know, it's just like things like that, like the mental mistakes of not watching a disc and the mental mistakes of, you know, throwing a trust ball when you don't really need to all the time. Um, it, it's fun. Makes for great highlights. Uh, as Charlie Hoppus said about the Philadelphia Phoenix in 2022, it's a very fan friendly form of ultimate, but it's not actually going to contribute a lot to winning. And I think Unless they get that shorn up, I just don't see them competing because L.A. Had really seemed to zone in at the end of the season. I expect them to start off much better this year than they did last year. Um, and Oakland is going to be playing catch-up if they can't find that consistency. One thing that would help is Mac Hecht being there more often. I don't know how many games he's going to be able to make this year, but they definitely like he's definitely that guy who just kind of feels like when he's there, things are a little more under control. And it feels like he he can be kind of that calming presence that doesn't, you know, that maybe makes the rest of the team feel like, yeah, we don't need to throw it deep every single time we get it. Because, you know, Mac can work the disc down the field and every other about as good as anyone in the league. So um, we'll see what happens. But I predict them to be the biggest faller uh, next year. I just don't feel think they're going to be competitive for a playoff spot. I think we're going to have a clear one, two, three in the West. Yeah. No, I, I, I can't disagree with you. And to your point about Hecht, he was fifth in the league last year, one of just five players to average over 50 completions a game. Obviously provided just a completely different kind of pillar to their offensive system that the Spiders have lacked basically in half a dozen years since they had Ashlyn Joy on their roster and were winning titles back-to-back with Bo Kittredge in 2015 and 2016. You know, Hecht just gives a throwing dimension, a caliber to their team that I think puts everything else in its place to your point, but you've got three other divisions to go through. So let's get it. Okay. And, and the central, I'm going to go with one that um, I don't think will be too shocking, but I think it's going to be Madison is a biggest climber. 
Um, and that's, you know, they lost KPS before the season even started next year or last year um, to a knee injury. Um, I'm assuming he's going to be healthy. Uh, he's he's going to have more than a full year to recover from whatever was going on. Um, and he is even more than just what he provides on the field as a player. He He's like the, he is the heart and soul of the Madison Radicals. He's been the, basically the face of the organization for the better part of a decade. Um, and he, he's kind of what makes the ship go. Like it, it would be like taking Pavel off of the union teams. Like you would just be like, oh, like Pavel's kind of the identity of that offense. And it's really KPS is the identity of like that entire team. Um, they were lost a lot of close games last year too. So despite their record, I mean, they had a last second loss to Pittsburgh, a last second loss to us. They lost another game to us by just a couple goals at home. Or might have, they might have scored at the end to make it a goal. I can't remember. Um, they they had honestly lot, lots of chances to find themselves in the third spot in the playoffs, and they just didn't quite get there. I think you add KPS back in, um, Gatowski being a year older, uh, a year smarter uh, as a cutter. And I think they probably jump up a little bit. It'll be interesting to see what additions they make and kind of what happens with free agency with the union as well, who did take the third playoff spot, but um, they really took it to Chicago at the end of the season um, as Chicago was backsliding and Madison was showing some improvement towards the end. Uh, I expect them to be a team that goes, uh, if not into the playoffs, at least definitely competing for it throughout the entire season. Yeah, and I'll give you one more name to consider who didn't play all of last year, Kai Marcus. That is one of the purest deep throwers you will get. He got only two games into 2022 in his debut season, missed all of 2023 with the same injury. He stands to return to the team, I believe, and is just going to add a different kind of vertical dimension to their offensive attack that, frankly, Madison has almost never really had. I mean, even going back to their glory days, their backfield, I mean, Tom Annan has incredible deep throws, but he wasn't necessarily a big time trigger puller in that offensive system, given that so much of it skewed off of Andrew Brown's possession handling abilities. Kai Marcus is a chucker, man. He, I think he was averaging close to three to four huck completions a game before he went down with his season end, ending injury in 2022. And if he can find a connection with Gutowski, who just is coming off of an all UFA rookie season, it really looks like it could be the start of a new era in Madison. But we've been saying that since they won a title in 2018, man. Speaking of storylines I'm a little bit worn out on, I'm the play-by-play guy for the Radicals, and I love this team to death. But something's got to give as far as this playoff drop goes, where they can't seem to get over the situational errors, the end of game close calls, the injuries that have just been piling up the past couple of years after they seem to almost elide that kind of thing for a few years during their championship weekend runs. Yeah, I mean, it, it stands to reason that Madison is due for a bounce back here, but it's it's been a bit. It's It's been six years. Yeah. I think something else too, the Madison... Radicals, you know, home field mystique seems to kind of be gone. Um, I think we love going. Out there. I think we it's kind of reversed on them a little bit. Yeah. I think that the lack of perceived success has made them tighten up, and I think that 
the showcase mentality that road games get coming into Bree Stevens has enlivened them more. You know, I, I you can talk to this better than I can, but I'm sure there was a different energy when Madison was going through its 30 plus game home winning streak and having to go there and, and just sort of get into that same mental headspace of, okay, we're going to change it this time, but we haven't. And, uh, whereas now it's like the shackles are off, man. Like Indy wins there. Minnesota wins there. The out of division teams come in, they win there. Chicago wins there. You know, we all get buzzer beaters. It's crazy. Like, it's just such a shift as far as the mojo is constructed in Breeze where, yeah, it, it feels like it's just been displaced. Yeah, I I love playing there. I, t- I As you know, you called the game last year uh, or in 2022. I had one of probably my best games of my career up there. And um, I've now won three straight games in Madison, um, something I never thought I'd be able to say given – how dominant they were there for years. I mean, hey, let, let, let's call a spade a spade, man. I remember you having a pivotal turnover on just outside of an end zone possession several years ago when you guys could have closed out one of those games where it would have ended the streak. You were over against Madison for several years. And now all of a sudden, like you say, you're, you're catching game winners that end their season. You've won three in a row there. Like, it's just, it's such a different energy yeah and yeah it's just it, it is what it is but i there my prediction for uh moving on you know we'll move on to the okay. south in the south um it's gonna be uh i don't project a lot of movement at the bottom of the division i still think houston and dallas are clearly going to be fighting to see for you know maybe they can get a win somewhere else but um i'm gonna go with carolina as a climber um, I, I, I dabbled with the idea of going with, um, uh, Austin as a faller or not Austin, sorry, Atlanta as a falling. Cause I, I, but I believe this, uh, Carolina is going to go back to the top of the division. Um, I still do favor Atlanta over Austin to finish second, but, um, I just don't foresee Carolina going through back-to-back seasons with such a lack of consistency in their roster um, Eric Taylor was out like all last year with an injury. Um, him being healthy will be huge um, if he's playing. And, you know, that, I mean, because that's a guy who can do it all. And he, he is one of those guys where you're just like, you almost feel like he doesn't have a weakness to his game. Um, and to lose him all year was obviously huge. You know, they, they were missing Alex Davis for a portion of the season. I think Sol Yannick missed a few games. And also Sol Yannick just kind of had a very uncharacteristic season from a throwing perspective from him. And uh, I just don't see all of those bad things just happening two years in a row. Jacob Fairfax, for my <laughs> money, is like somehow underrated. Like, I feel like we don't Stupid talk man. about how insane that guy is enough. And he, he was like, basically with their, you know, scotch tape roster of whoever we have this week, it was always Jacob Fairfax trying to hold everything together with, you know, the strength of his huge quads uh, and just jumping up and grabbing discs that nobody should be able to grab. And I, I, I just think this year they, they kind of go back to being the class of that division. Um, I would be really surprised uh, if that wasn't the case. Yeah. I mean, they dealt with injuries last year to your 
uh, description of ET missing the entire season. And I think just the general roster volatility, obviously Alex Davis, AD sustained a, a cataclysmic injury at the end of this last club season. He'll likely be out, out all of 2024. So that's going to be a big absence, but Carolina in general, just they, they don't rebuild, they reload. And I think it's funny that, they ran into a white hot Austin team, eliminated them from the playoffs. And it, it, similar to Colorado, I feel like we sort of buried the actual potential of this Flyers team, given that they didn't meet astronomical projections that they had going into the season. And I just feel like that's a mistake, to your point of like, if they just get an iota more of lineup solidarity a, a, a few more games of mgh getting alongside yannick and and you know getting a little bit more of that chemistry and yannick not having to shoot as much it, it it just feels like the flyers are again on the precipice of a potential championship run just given their ability to always turn over new talent yeah um going into the last division the east um clearly i've already stated in the i think New York's going to be at the top. I don't think there's much of a discussion there, but I'm going to go with Philly as you were going to go Montreal. Montreal. <laughs> I mean, there's nowhere man. to come it up. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to go Philly as falling. Um, I think uh, the cold birds, right? That was what the joke was. The hot birds and the cold birds. Um, birds. Here, here's kind of where I'm at. They just, they it's the volatility again it's the austin problem except they um they're just they just happen to be in a better division that has you know more teams than just the two at the top that they have to compete with boston really showed a lot of improvement last year i actually think with the increased buy-in in boston that they had last year and a little bit more roster consistency um i i foresee something similar happening this year again and having that not just across a season, but then bringing that into multiple seasons has like a multiplicative effect uh, on performance. So being able to go through a season together, go through an off season together to plan, then go through a whole nother season. Like I expect Boston to look even better. Whereas like Philadelphia probably is going to bring back a similar roster, I would guess. Things didn't look super clean all the time last year. They While they had some impressive games like taking – you know, competing with New York in a game. They also had some of the worst losses last year. Um, games that just made you scratch your head. I know they beat Carolina and that felt like a really big win. But when you factor in that Carolina really wasn't that good last year and it was on a back-to-back -back day of a two-game road trip, that to me made that win a lot less impressive. And um, I mean, it's great that you beat a Carolina team that was definitely talented but it just it's not the same as if they would have done it in 2022 for instance so i just they they don't play consistent enough you know they had a game in pittsburgh that they were just hanging on for dear life against a pittsburgh team that really struggled last year i mean we took a lineup to pittsburgh where we literally only had me and rick gross from our o-line and had three guys playing their first game ever and went in there and won by a bigger margin than philadelphia did so like it's things like that. Like they should have gone into Pittsburgh and won that game going away. 
they have the talent and the ability to do it. So like out of all the picks I'm making, this is the one I think that could go the opposite direction the most, because I think at their peak, Philadelphia can be phenomenal. But again, it comes down to consistency and it comes down to just kind of the same problem that we uh, see with Oakland, which is that sometimes they just, they just fall in love a little too much with the deep ball. And it's, it's in situations where it doesn't always make a lot of sense. Like they have the players to work the disc. Like Sean Ma is as good as they get when it comes to chopping up, you know, going up and just chopping up a defense. Uh, and James Pollard can take, you know, he can take a one-on-one matchup deep against anyone. And that dude's just an animal. And he, while he has improved his throwing, I think he still needs to rein in the decision-making about when the right time to make those throws is. Um, Jordan Ryan is a guy that can like run an offense and he can have a game like what you talked about with Thomas Edmonds where, earlier, where he could have a hundred throws and complete them all. Like he's got that kind of ability. It just doesn't seem like they put it all together very often, but when they do, they can be really good. So this out of all the ones I'm predicting, this is the one I think that has the highest chance of backfiring on me, but I, I feel pretty confident saying that at the very least um, we're going to see good Philadelphia and bad Philadelphia throughout the season. Yeah, they are the Jekyll and Hyde team, I feel like, of almost the league. Uh, They almost took New York out last year. I think they were the closest team to taking New York out. They took them to overtime in the regular season at home and just could not put it away. They're one of those teams that frustratingly has the situation where two to three of their offensive performers will be having the games of their life And then the other four will just disappear for whatever reason. There's never any notion as to why it's happening specifically, but it just always kind of feels in that sort of ratio where you get the insane Greg Martin, Sean Mott, James Pollard game. And then if they just had that fourth, they could push it over the, the, the rock over the hilltop. And it's just, it's never quite coalesced for them against DC who they also lost by one on the road against early in the season, you know, this is a team that for as much as they allow a frustrating game against Pittsburgh to happen, they get these just, just so close, but no cigar results that that makes you feel like they're maybe closer to a turnaround and getting into the more contender space than they are. I I don't know. I'm with you. I never know what to make of Philly until they show me that consistency week in, week out. All right, I'll move into my second big point, my final big point. I know this is supposed to be big three. It's just big two for each of us. Uh, Defensive game changers, you know, with the new pulling rules. And I think also just more familiarity with the general strategy of the professional field and game. There's been more and more evolution with defense, particularly in the last two to three years. Last year, I think we saw the biggest impacts from individual defensive performers we've seen in this league. You know, you talk about Antoine Davis winning Defensive Player of the Year, the kind of shutdown performances he had against Jordan Kerr in the championship and against Kyle Henke and Evan Swiatek in the semifinals. And just over the back half of the season, he was able to remove chess pieces from the board and make other opponents work through alternate routes that is so effective, I feel like, in the pro strategy. When you can take away that top option and give a little bit more adversity 
to what the offense is looking through and working through. It just, it, it has that cascading effect where maybe it's not necessarily producing turnovers early in the game, but that attrition is just working on teams. It's like body blows over the course of a game. And you just saw how Berglund was able to do, or excuse me, Davis was able to do with that. Getting ahead of myself. Speaking of another major performer, Minnesota's Sam Berglund, all rookie performer, he made plays defensively, but what he really brought to the table was his pulling, his ability to really take advantage of the moved up pulling rules, pin opposing offenses on the back line, make them stagger and start out of position. You're putting your hands over your face. I mean, I saw this a number of times against Madison where he would get these screamers to just pin down and roll crazily out the back end. And then your first throw is just chaos as the defense is blitzing down on you. you, Do you want to speak for a second? Oh, gosh. Um, And Cameron Lacey does this really well, too. We'll get to him in a second, too. Um, Yeah, and the thing is, we first actually experienced this the year before the poll rules changed, because in 2022, we had a playoff game up in Minnesota where it was very upwind, downwind. And when there was a surprising amount of upwind scores, they're, they're actually considering the wind was were not a lot of turnovers. But Abe Coffin pulling with that great backhand of his and just it was so blady and landing five yards deep in the football end zone. So we're talking about five yards from the back line. You can't catch it like you just can't catch it. And then. You know, by the time you get the disc, they're double teaming the disc. You, like you're throwing up wind, you, you you feel helpless. And then the polling rules changed, and I saw Abe got moved to O line, and I'm like, "All right, Abe's gonna play O line. We'll be fine." And then this Sam Berglund, this mustachioed man, just waltzes onto the field and throws these line drive O eyes to like the back of the end zone every time, and man, does it just make things so much harder because it's it's not about the further distance you're traveling down the field. It's about just getting the offense started at that point. And you feel like if you can get started, you're going to be okay. But that is easier said than done, especially when they're playing at home at Seafoam Stadium where that wind is swirling constantly. Like they have the biggest home field advantage with those polars that they have and knowing that they're always going to be playing with that eighth defender of the wind, uh, it is miserable to go up there and play a seafoam. So you got Berglund. Cameron Lacey, you also mentioned, has been fantastic for them, kind of as their alt-puller and as this developing player, as an athletic cover guy. You know, you had Ben Yacht shift over to defense famously over the past season and a half. He's now pulling two for the Empire D-line and just adds a different dimension being able to anchor him at the back you know with his pulls he can just rip it and set at the back and kind of play that free safety position that he's been carving out for himself after back-to-back mvp seasons in 2019 and 2021 uh you've got lucas ambrose as you said defying gravity shooting out of a cannon leading the league in blocks as a rookie this last year one of just two players ever to do that in the league's history. I mean, you could just keep going. Ryan Dross becoming the first player in league history to get over 200 blocks this last year. He's going into his 10th plus season in the league. Only seems to be getting better alongside his twin brother, Mike. Those Dross just are, are, are indefatigable middle linebackers for that end 
empire defense. Uh, you've got Justin Burnett in the South getting up over 20 blocks to clerk with Minnesota. There's just a lot of defensive presences. So I just want to quickly list off four players, maybe some not so familiar, maybe some more. So, Oh, another player I meant to mention as far as like utilizing their pulls, just sort of adding, I think a different dimension. You already mentioned him earlier, AJ Merriman. The only reason why I would be a little bit hesitant on putting him on offense is that you deprive the D line of his pulls. You talk about just natural backhands. I don't know that anyone has a better just looping open up backhand than when AJ gets into rhythm. And I love seeing him utilize that to pin opposing offenses. But once again, back to my main point, four players, one from each division of game changers, I think will be impactful in 2024. We're going to start with two names that we already mentioned, uh, Sam Berglund and Cameron Lacey. They were so pivotal in Minnesota's championship weekend run this past season. I think it's going to be the same story in 2024. Berglund has been intensive in the offseason workouts. Lacey didn't really start getting good PT until the back half of last season. He was a rookie. He was somebody with very little high-end competitive experience. And from all reports from the team, he is just a sponge right now. He has the natural ability as a thrower, as, as an athlete, to just plug into where he needs to. And as he gets more reps, I think he's really going to start to shine. You could see him making some coverage plays, I thought, in the semifinals game against the Shred, which was a kind of opponent I was really surprised to see them giving him as much PT as he did. So I think... Lacey and Berglund from Minnesota and then the Central Division are just going to be fantastic. Just continuing to go along. John Randolph for New York. I know we talk a lot about a number of defensive stars in general on New York. You know, it's a heliocentric universe out there on the East Coast. And Empire have had the last four MVPs, you know, Ben Yacht, Ryan Osgar, Jeff Babbitt. Jack Williams is basically the 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 er MVP. We think of him as being the best player on the planet. I think JR and his computer level defensive processing is going to start elevating into that group. I think you started to see it this past year. He was the defensive player of the year candidate. He made an intense impact both as a coverage player and in the counterattack. And he's just, again, it's this, it's this cyborg level ability to process information. We've seen it at every level that he's played the sport. He just takes in data and starts figuring it out. And you start to see it in his stats from joining the Empire midway through the 2022 season to his end of his 2023 season. Basically, every single stat across the board and his perfect game metrics improved. His, his just leadership and I think dynamic play on the field was so much more visible. And I think that's only going to continue. So that's that's just like an easy pick. I mean, picking JR to be impressive, it's like picking a sky blue day as being a good day in the summer. It's just, it's, it's, it's easy. Well, and he, the thing that's impressive about him, it's impressive. Like he was just like, he came in in the middle of the 2022 season after he was done in college and just like immediate impact player. Um, you could make an argument that he had one of like maybe the most signature play at championship weekend with the hand block on um, Alex Davis out of the timeout that led to the last second goal. Um, Never seen somebody set up a block like that on the mark in this league. Yeah. And then he, and here's the other thing we talked earlier about like 
having multiple threats on offense and how that can open you up, open everyone up to get open more. The same thing works on defense. When when you have Antoine over there, you got Britton Tan over there, and you got Ben Yacht over there. Like these are people you don't have to worry about like what's happening with their matchup. I remember we've all had this experience. Anyone who's uh, plays in the UFA, like you were probably one of the best players, if not the best player in your college team. And one of the things you did on defense wasn't really just marking your guy, but you were always keeping an eye out on if you needed to help deep on someone or whatever else, because, you know, the talent level just isn't going to be the same across the board as it is at some of these higher levels. And just imagine the freedom when you're in a situation you're in New York too, where if, if you're John Randolph and, you know, you're just playing hard man defense, you don't have to worry about what's happening anywhere else on the field because you know you have other defenders just about as talented, if not as talented as you are. And that, like, that just allows him to just sometimes dominate his matchup into submission almost sometimes where it almost looks like they just don't even want to cut anymore. Like, it's too hard. Like, it, it, you know, he has a, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm done. You, you got me. Yeah, it's it's a very like boa constrictor jujitsu style of play with his defense, where it just sort of sets in over the course of a game. I mean, I'm thinking even back to Montreal, where I think he got two or three blocks against in the final regular season matchup, where he, at the end of the game he was sort of like stacking it up. It seemed like he was only improving towards the end of the game. It's like at a impressive running back or something in the fourth quarter he just starts to create separation with his matchups but I, I yeah I I just think the the ceiling is a limit for him and so another big season for JR I, again like that's that's not exactly a reach on my behalf um another player I wanted to get to going to the south division who did not play at all this past season but was phenomenally important part to Austin's defense in 2022 their main puller Jake Reinhardt you know he didn't get a chance to take advantage of these new pulling rules he was an athletic specimen for a number of years before he got this knee injury and I will say I've seen on social media that dude was hitting his rehab about as soon as you could afterward. And he looked more explosive than half the league already at that point. I mean, he's been taking this, this comeback tour, I think very seriously. And while he hasn't been nominated as part of the captainship for the soul alongside Kyle Hankey, Mark Evans, uh, Joey Wiley and Evan Swiatek, I expect his on-field performance to match that. We're talking about a soul team that led the league in break rate this last year and is now getting back ostensibly their best matchup defender from 2022. It just feels like one of those things where it's it's going to be a very unheralded addition to the roster, given that it's not a new signing or anything, but getting back Jake Reinhardt is just sort of a, a, a primal energy of a part of a soul team that loves that kind of vibe. I, I just think that that's going to kick them up into another notch that they want. But to your point earlier, I'm hands off still on figuring out what the hell is going to happen in the South division yet. I need to see a lot more as far as what these rosters are going to be. And also just as far as like how consistent these lineups are going to be, but moving to my final player, little bit of controversy around this player, although I think he's really starting to turn a page on some of it. He's, he's had some, physical bids in the past it's i think born out of exuberance but i think it's 
It's fixing itself as it's going forward. He seems to be alleviating it. Noah Coolman from Colorado. There's just, there's an undeniable electricity to the way that he hunts for the disc. It again goes into a little bit of a place where it gets to be dangerous play and it definitely needs to be reined in. But when he's locked in making plays, he's college roommates with Lucas Ambrose, funnily enough, at Oregon. <laughs> and so they just, they both have that, that X factor ability to just win discs. And for a summit team that I thought really started to center its identity on defense last year and kind of got away from it at some point, I think due to injuries and just roster inconsistencies, it feels like Coolman, along with Cody Spicer, the 2022 defensive player of the year, Said Semrin, uh, Seth Ferris, like there's just a lot of good defensive playmakers. And to your point about what we were talking about just a moment ago with Randolph in New York, Coolman feels similarly where he can benefit from the padding of the rest of the matchups that his teammates can take on, where he can then maybe go out and get a matchup where he can earn three to five blocks in a game. I mean, that's the kind of potential he has to get takeaways in this league. And so I think if he settles down a little bit and locks in, you know, he's only 22, 23 years old, 24, he could really be a defensive player of the year kind of candidate. And for a Colorado team, I expect to your point about teams kind of matriculating upwards. I, th- I think the summit are going to go north of eight wins in 2024. Oh, yes. Uh, that is, uh, I know we're not sponsored by any betting platform, but if we were, <laughs> this would yet. be the part where I would not be like, yet. this is the lock. <laughs> well, why weren't they in your movers? You need to get Colorado on your movers. Hey, it's because, <laughs> here's why. Because Oakland was the bigger dropper. That's why. That's where I was that's at. That's fair. That's fair. This is your first episode, man. We're at the end of it. Uh, I think we're going to launch now towards the upcoming episode for next week. We will be back now every week on Swing Pass going forward in the off season, setting up towards the 24, 2024 season excuse me at the end of april where we will shift into in-season mode get into preview and recap twice a week this will be the very same swing pass that you've grown to know and love over the last couple seasons but obviously we've got a little bit more experienced and balder i'm sorry co-host now and cameron but we are going to be moving forward with a lot of velocity a lot of takes and a lot of fun times. We thank you for joining us after our long, long intermission, but we will keep this energy going forward. Don't go too far. We will talk to you soon. Bye now.